Wonderful, Nath, bro. <laughs> Come up. Nath's going to be sharing this morning, uh, closing out our Ephesians series, um, which is really, really awesome. So can I pray for you quickly, bro? Thank you, Father, for Nath, and thank you, Jesus, just for a diligent student of your word. Thank you, Father, that it's not just words to this man, but it's life. And I pray, Father, that as he preaches, Father, we would hear your voice, uh, and we would listen and obey, Father, and, and, and sense your leading um, over us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Didn't have an, uh, is that right? Going? Good. Didn't have an assistant with me, so had to go solo. Cool. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who do not know me, my name's Nathan, uh, part of the eldership team at One Hope. And um, yeah, just such a privilege to be part of this community. Um, this is an amazing church, and um, yeah, just exciting to see where God's taking us and what He's doing with us. Um, quick shout out, Josh Windus, Carmen, oh yeah? Some of the old school. That was a surprise. It was really nice for me, because Josh is close to my heart. So, um, Cool. So as Bates said, we in kind of like the last, this is the last installment for part three of our Ephesians series. So we've been going through Ephesians kind of like... Uh, sporadically um, through the last while, I think since last year. And uh, we'll be picking up part four probably at the end of the year, uh, which will be focusing out of kind of chapters five and part of chapters five, and then kind of goes into the godly life in human relationships. You know, so how do we live out this godly life in Christ in the different human relationships that we engage with? So most of you, if you've been with us for a little while, you'll remember the context of where we are in Ephesians and uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul's telling us how do we, what, what is this new life that we've been given through Christ. That through Christ, we were dead and we were made alive. And then he goes on to speak about what this new life looks like. Like, what does it actually mean now to live in this new life? So here we're in that same kind of context. And um, Paul is kind of extending that again. What does it look like to live the godly life? So one of the central calls in the text, and we'll get into it now, uh, as part of this chapter 5 of Paul, is, is the call to be filled with the Spirit. You'll see it in verse 18. He calls us not to, to not be, get drunk and kind of follow drunkenness, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. Um, and this links beautifully with Bates' text last week, where he spoke about you know, this, this lamp that shines in our heart. And how does Christ actually shine this light into our heart? It's through the working of the Spirit, as the Spirit opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and, and softens our hearts. So if you were with us uh, kind of at the end of April, Bates actually shared on this exact text in our value series on, on being filled with the Spirit. Um, so this morning I'm actually going to kind of piggyback off that text and not focus so much on you know, the means, like what does it mean, or helping us understand what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, but actually what happens when we are filled with the Spirit? What are the marks of a person who is filled with the Spirit? So just to preempt it with a question, like if you think of a Spirit-filled person, what comes to mind? What kind of characteristics do you think a spirit-filled person should look like? Or if you think of a spirit-filled church, if you say, wow, that's, a, that's really a spirit-filled church, what kind of characteristics are you seeing that's causing you to say that's a spirit-filled church? So I'm going to let you linger with that. Um, so we're going to get into the text. Let me just pray for us, and then we'll read in Ephesians chapter 5. 
Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. I thank you, Father, that as we come as a church to sit under your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I ask, King, that even personally, you know, just feeling busyness of the week and things that we're dealing with in our own personal spaces, that we would lay them down and we would just sit under your word. And I pray that you would speak to us powerfully. I pray that you would help me, speak through me. Um, and I, I pray, King, that you would show us what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Truly, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And may you cause us to desire that type of filling. And may you cause us to desire the, the characteristics and the marks that flow out of that to come. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, if you can turn with me there, it should be on the screen. It's chapter 5, verse 15. And we're going to read through to 21. My brief was only till verse 20, but I stole an extra verse. Um, But Paul's not around, so it should be fine. Um, So verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, submitting then to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see one of, as I said before, one of the central calls in this text is we find in kind of verse 18. You know, there's, and it's linking actually to verse 15 where he speaks about walking wise, not as unwise. And part of the reason we can walk wisely and not as unwisely is because we're not giving ourselves over to drunkenness, but instead we're being filled with the Spirit, and that causes us to walk wisely. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And I want to just take us back and remind us a little bit of what Bates was speaking about a couple of months ago. And uh, so what does it mean to be filled? And remember, this is, a, this is a passive verb, and we actually have said that idea quite a few times. Like, it's a passive verb. How do you do something which is being done to you? How do you be filled with the Spirit? Like, you need to do something, but actually the Spirit is the one that's filling you. So how do you do something which is being done to you? So Bates shared two key ideas which I think were really, really helpful in just getting a, helping us to understand this. And uh, the first one is the image of a glass, in the way that a glass is filled with water. And I think, personally for me, you know, whenever I thought of the idea of filling or even the idea of being filled with the Spirit, that was the idea in my mind. You know, the Spirit fills you like water into a glass until it kind of overflows. But if we look a little bit more closely at the original language, um, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the, the, the word for uh, wind, breath, and Spirit is very much the same word. So the idea that Paul is, is trying to carry across here by saying be full of the Spirit is not that kind of hydraulic filling. It's a little bit more like the second image um, of a sailing boat. It's a little bit more like wind which fills the sail of a sailing boat. And so it's, it's, it's actually the filling that Paul's talking about is, is the power of, of the wind filling like the rightly positioned sail to carry this boat through the water. So this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it means to live under the influence of the Spirit. Notice that kind of, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a, a present imperative. It's like it should always happen. 
you know, you're living under the influence of something. It's not a once-off kind of like gust of wind that carries you. It's a constant blowing of the wind into the sail. So our lives are led and empowered by the Spirit on a daily basis. So that's just quickly what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and I encourage you, if you weren't there, to go back, listen to uh, Bates' preach. It's really, really helpful in engaging with us and really, really helpful in in bringing it into the day-to-day. So what then follows is Paul kind of describes for us three key markers, three key characteristics of a person who is filled with the Spirit. And this is where Paul actually answers for us that initial question, you know, like what, what does a spirit-filled person look like? And in turn, what should a spirit-filled church look like? Paul answers the question for us. Um, but before we kind of unpack that, just I want to challenge you, what, what would have come to your mind, you know? And I think for me, what would have come to my mind is maybe like healings, like a spiritual church or a spiritual person, like there should be healings that are often present, or maybe it's prosperity, you know, like the blessing of God would be upon those people, or maybe it's prophecy, like there's constant prophesying happening there, or maybe it's like um, kind of like radical personal experiences of the Spirit, you know, like during worship people are like dropping down and stuff like that, and, and I, I don't want to diminish that stuff at all, like those things have a place, and they are part of the life of the church, but that's not the way here in Ephesians 5 that Paul actually characterizes the spiritual person by. Um, but those things are important, but I'm just wanting us to come and see what is Paul, how does Paul characterize a spiritual person? Or how would Paul characterize a spiritual church? So let's read then in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. To 21. And this is the key section for us this morning. Verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul here flags three key markers for us, three key characteristics of what a spirit-filled person would look like. Firstly, we see in verse 19, a spirit-filled person is a singing person, someone who sings to God. Secondly, a spirit-filled person is a thanking person. And thirdly, a spirit-filled person is a submitting person, a person who submits willingly to others. So Paul is saying, As the Spirit fills you, these things will naturally flow from your life. So these characteristics are a a result of the Spirit filling you. And remember, it's not not a glass-type filling. It's not this once-off filling, and then for the rest of your life, these things kind of show. It's It's a constant. It's a living under the influence of the Spirit. It's a walking in the Spirit. And as we walk, these characteristics start to flow. And as I kind of was thinking about this, it was like, you know, these actually seem pretty ordinary. You know, like, you, you would kind of think, like, sheesh, Paul, like, being full of the Spirit, really, just so I can sing, just so I can be thankful, just so I can submit to other people. Surely there's, like, something greater of the filling of the Spirit that's going to cause me to do than these three characteristics. But what challenged me, it was like, actually, Father, help me to see like the extraordinary power of these kind of very ordinary day-to-day things. 
So firstly, singing. It's verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This will cause us, verse 19, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Essentially, he's saying a spiritual person, like God's children, should be a singing people. And as you kind of look through the Bible, you see that God's people have always been a singing people. If you see uh, the Israelites, when they were kind of rescued from Exodus, uh, from Egypt, sorry, in the Exodus, they they sang to the Lord. You know, as they got across from the ocean, they sang to the Lord. Um, or if we think about David, you know, who's known for dancing and singing to God, or even the book of Psalms, you know, which is kind of this hymnal for the, for the Old uh, Testament church to sing to God, or even Jesus with his disciples. After they broke bread together, they sang a song. And then we also see Paul, even there's that, that moment with Paul and Silas where they're singing in prison, and their singing actually saves the, the prisoners around them. And then here we see Paul exhorting the New Testament church and in turn us to be singing to God. So God's people, firstly, are a singing people. And then just notice quickly kind of there's a, connect, there's a connection and a parallel to drunkenness. I haven't been drunk very many times, so I asked... Um, other people to <laughs> explain why you sing when you get drunk. Uh, I did other things, don't worry, so I'm not like holy or something. Um, but there's a parallel to drunkenness. You know, when people are drunk, they often sing. And uh, when they're under the influence, they sing. They feel, this, they feel jolly, they feel relaxed, and there's a confidence, and they're not afraid to sing. You know, the shyest person in the group is now suddenly the most confident. Um, but I want us to kind of just think around what is the root of that type of singing? Like, why do you think drunk people sing? And again, it's a bit of second-hand knowledge, but what I would think is that through, through alcohol, there's a suppression of your normal reality. It suppresses what you normally feel. So your normal reality is suppressed, your normal fears are suppressed, and as they're suppressed, there's a confidence to sing. But singing which comes from the Spirit, as we sing in the Spirit, is actually the complete opposite. When you sing in the Spirit, you're not singing because there's a suppression of your reality. You know, like your reality is like now made dumb and you can't really see it and now it seems okay. So actually you can sing about something. But actually it's the exact opposite. Through the Spirit, there's a heightened view of the reality. You actually see the world around you and your reality in a clearer way. You'll see that kind of further up when it talks about walking as wise and not as unwise. It then talks about because the days are darkness. And it's through the Spirit's work that our eyes are enlightened within this day, within the darkness of the day. And as our eyes are enlightened, we can actually see creation in the world as a creation of God. And we can see the purposes of God in creation and the beauty of the gospel. So the singing then doesn't come, you know, in a drunkenness type of singing where your reality is suppressed, but actually in a singing which is a result of a clearer view of your reality, as your reality of the world is actually put into context uh, with God. So the opposite of drunkenness is a clear view of Christ so that joy would well up in our hearts and it would be expressed in song. So we see this in Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. 
It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And you'll uh, remember one of the videos Bates showed was by J.R. Packer, where he speaks about the Holy Spirit. And again, he talks about one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus, like is to point us to Jesus and elevate our uh, view of Christ. So what I'm saying is that as the Spirit does that, so the Spirit fills us, helps us to see Christ more clearly, and as we see Christ more clearly, it causes joy to well up in our hearts. And that joy then wants to find expression. So this is the effects of this reality. So the effects of this reality is singing. And then Paul kind of actually explains this like he, he so he, he explains two directions that we are to sing. He explains two directions we are to sing. He explains three different types of song, and then he explains two different ways that these songs are sung. So he explains two directions. He says that we should be singing to one another, and we should be singing to the Lord. So there's actually, you know, there's this, there's this power and beauty in singing to one another, you know, like singing, come, let us sing to the Lord, and you're encouraging one another, exhorting one another to sing to God. And then he's also telling us that we need to sing to the Lord. And then there are three types of songs. He talks about the Psalms, which are probably, as I said, the biblical Psalms, you know, this kind of like church hymnal, which they used to sing these Psalms um, as worship to God. And then he talks about hymns, which are probably the the kind of like early church's um, hymnal. And then spiritual songs. So he even puts there these kind of like songs which are generated and prompted by the Spirit, that there's kind of these natural songs that flow out of our hearts because of the joy that we find in Him. And then two different kinds of songs that we should be singing and making melody. And, and I mention this because I think like, you know, Paul doesn't just go and say, yeah, you should be singing. But he describes like these three different ways that we sing, how, who we should be singing to. And I think some of the reason he's doing that is, is, he's, is he's basically saying like, sing, sing, sing. You know, he's like saying over and over again because he's, he's, he's wanting us to understand that our singing should come from joy that we find in him. It's not saying like, it's not a commandment, so no, you should sing. But he's like saying it over and over again in different ways that we do it and different directions that we do it and different types of songs that we use because he's wanting to carry some of that, um, the, the purpose of it in being joy. And I want us to understand that this is not, it's not a superficial, hypocritical type of singing. It's not a, a, a kind of like bland type of singing. It's an authentic singing. That it's really joy that wells up in our hearts and it, and it comes out to sing. And I was just constantly reminded of this, you know, like in Porus, you're watching the rugby Porus have cheerleaders, which is kind of funny because, anyways, um, <laughs> they're guys. So, uh, and it was quite an honor to be a cheerleader, but anyways. And they like, their job is to encourage you to sing or like hit you or something just to get you to sing. And when I was thinking about this, I was like, it's not that kind of thing. Paul's not saying, hey, listen, you should be singing. Why aren't you singing? He's saying, hey, when the Spirit fills you, it'll cause you to sing. You're not singing because the joy in you isn't overflowing into song. So I hope that helps us um, see it a little bit better. And I want us to also just remember that Paul's not calling us to conform to some type of singing. And, and that's also for us. You know, when you're in church and you see someone who, who 
waves a flag and jumps up and down, or the other person does this and this and this, and there's a part of you that feels like, you know, I'm not really worshipping if I'm not worshipping like that person. And I don't think that's what Paul's saying. What I think he's saying is that worship should flow from joy in Christ. So I want to challenge us this morning. That's, that's the challenge. You know, evaluate your worship. Does, does my worship flow from joy in Christ? If it doesn't, then you need to pray for the Spirit to fill you. Because as the Spirit fills you, you'll see Christ in more beauty. Joy will fill your heart and it'll overflow in song. Cool. So firstly, first mark of being filled with the Spirit is singing. Secondly, thanking. We see this in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read that, you might hopefully have thought like me, where it's like, sheesh, like that is radical. Like I was trying to find a term, I was like, is it overarching, is it broad, is it, like it's insane, you know, always thanking God for everything. And it is tough, and it isn't easy, and I think we need to like kind of come to grips with that. It's not an easy thing to thank God in every situation that we face, and that's why it's a work of the Spirit. You know, it's not Paul saying, hey, you should be thankful, should be thankful, should be thankful. Actually, he's saying, be full of the Spirit, and one of the marks of the Spirit, one of the, one of the results of the Spirit filling you is that you will be a thankful person. And again, it's not a hypocritical type of thank you. You know, like with Elizabeth, we try and teach her to say thank you. And then she kind of goes, okay, thank you. And it's not, real, like, it's not like an authentic thank you. But if you give a balloon, it's like you're the best person in the world, and she like loves you and runs up, gives you this big hug. Um, often that's how she like says, I love you, daddy. It's like, it's kind of one of those things. But anyways, it's an authentic thank you. It's like, she loves this thing and she's like, thank you for this. Um, so that's what Paul's calling us to. And how does that happen? It's a result of being filled with the Spirit. It's a result of the, the, the filling of the Spirit enlightening us to the beauty and the purposes of Christ in everything that he does. So we to thank uh, God always. So Paul's saying there's, there's no situation in your life where it shouldn't be right and fitting for you to be thankful to God. Even if we may not always feel that way. And again, Paul's not calling us to this kind of like chipper, glib, you know, my life's great, meanwhile your house just burnt down. He's not calling us to that kind of thankfulness. But the biblical pattern, in fact, is actually that that God's people, Christians, are to be in tune with their, their emotions, you know. We should be weeping when the situation calls to weep or laugh when the situation calls us to laugh. You know, that's the biblical pattern. But at the same time, in 2 Corinthians 6, 8, it actually tells us that we should hold these things in balance, that Christians have the ability to be sorrowful and yet at the same time be rejoicing. And this is a work of the Spirit. Through the filling of the Spirit, we can both be weeping and can be thankful at the same time. That's the biblical message. And then for everything. So Paul calls us to be thanking God for everything. And I I want us to, I mean, it seems really radical, like really, like thank God for everything. And some of you here might be in terrible situations and you're like, how can you just tell me that I should be thanking God amidst this situation? But I want to encourage us us by seeing who does he, what does he connect the thankfulness to? He says, thanking God the Father. 
So he's connecting a thankfulness in any situation you face with the character of the Father. And this is so important for us. We can't miss the person that we're thanking. You know, it's not an empty thanking. It's thanking God the Father with an understanding of his character. So through the Spirit, we know the Father's character. And because we know the Father's character, we can still thank him amidst terrible situations. Paul then goes on to connect it. So he speaks about thanking God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have God the Father and we have the Lord. You know, we have the character and the heart of the Father and we have the power of the Lord. And through the Spirit, we have a, we have a, a, a clear understanding of these two things. And because of that, we know that God has both the love and care and foresight and he has the power to actually work all things for our ultimate good. And remember, this is a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. That through the Spirit, we have the capacity to give thanks amidst tough circumstances. And uh, we'll see, we see in, in Ephesians uh, 3, verse 15, sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 19, uh, this is just such a beautiful prayer by Paul, but he goes on to kind of explain how this happens in our hearts. It says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, notice the capital there, the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. For what purpose? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may Know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? So Paul is actually praying for believers. He's praying that they would be filled with the Spirit. He's praying that they would be filled with the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the wisdom and revelation is to result in three key things. Firstly, the hope to which God has called us. So the Spirit's giving them a clear picture of, of their hope in God. Secondly, their glorious inheritance in the saints. And thirdly, their measurable greatness of God who works all things according to his great might. So as the Spirit shows us this, we get a clearer view of, of God and his working and his ways in the world, and therefore we can be thankful or even in, in chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And he has the key, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I want to challenge us this morning, and, and I want to almost to take it home with you. It's like, do we really believe this? Do we believe that God works all things, all things that happen in the world, all things according to the counsel of his will. And this is vital for us to kind of hold on to this. Do we believe that God is both good and God is both in control? And this is vital for us to be a thankful people. And, and I want to encourage you if you, don't, if you don't believe that, if you don't understand that, pray that the Spirit would fill you. Pray that the Spirit would fill you as Paul prays here in chapter 1, that the Spirit would fill us and give us wisdom and revelation and would help us see with clearer eyes, the workings of God. And again, there's a parallel here with, you know, ingratitude with drunkenness. So in drunkenness, your kind of vision's blurred, and the problems of the world are suppressed, and drunken people end up 
often being thankful people? Have you ever had like your, I don't know, a guy you don't know that well give you a huge hug and say you're like his best friend ever? And uh, there's this like everything's suppressed and there's this gratitude for what's around you. Um, but that's not the kind of gratitude that Paul's calling us to. He's calling us to an enlightened gratitude. The Spirit helps us to see clearly. And through that, we see the problems of the world, the things that we face in the world. We see them with new eyes. We see them with a new perspective. And again, I want to remind us that it doesn't mean, I mean, it doesn't mean that we're just going to see all the situations around us as beautiful. You know, often they're really tough situations and they will actually be ugly, like really ugly. But what the Spirit helps us see is that situations, even the ugly situations, are useful. That God can use those situations for good. And Paul himself, you know, he's writing this and saying, like, we need to be grateful and thankful in each circumstance. If you look at the life of Paul, and even uh, he speaks about it in Philippians 4, how he learned to be content in all things that he faced. That he faced having very little, he faced having much. That he learned contentment in those things. We see Paul uh, learn contentment in prison. You know, early in Philippians 1, he's in prison and he's saying, like, you know, my prison served to take the gospel forward. You know, he's happy with that being in prison because it's serving to take the gospel forward. Or even in his mockings and his beatings and his eventual death, that Paul learned to be contented, to be gratitude, and to be uh, thankful. And that is so helpful for me because it's a process of time. It's learning to be grateful. It's not, it doesn't happen in an instant. So secondly, we are a thankful person, uh, people, and thirdly, uh, we're submitting. So this is verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the third mark of being filled with the Spirit is that we are a people who submit to one another. That the ongoing filling of the Spirit will cause us to submit to one another. And if you, if you look in, in verse 18 to 20, um, kind of like in the original Greek, that was one sentence. Verse 18 to 20 is like one sentence, and then verse 21 is almost like the culmination and the end point of that verse. So it's, it's in a way, it's the culmination of being full of the Spirit is that we, are, we submit to one another. And I'm sure there are many of us here, um, when you hear the word submit, there's like these like red flags go up or like the hair on your neck stands up, but don't tell me to submit to someone. And actually rightfully so, because the idea of submission in church history and in the world's history has been really abused. And often when we think about submission, we think about this kind of like abusive lording over someone. Or like men lording their power over women. That's how we see submission. But that's not the biblical model of what submission is. It's not a forced submission on someone else. But submission is, is a person who's choosing to prefer someone, other, someone else above themselves. To submit to someone else is actually to, pres- to prefer their good and their welfare over your own. And this is the way Jesus described it in Mark 10 and how Paul describes it in Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 to 4. In verse 3, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, there he's referencing their submission, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is the meaning of submission. This is what Paul is saying. It's like to count others more significant 
than ourselves. And Jesus himself did this. In Philippians 2, you'll see it, it explains it. But Jesus himself did this as he came down to serve us and to do us good. There was a submission there. Not that he made like us suddenly, you know, his superior, but he submitted as he came to serve and do us good. And then in Ephesians 4, we see a connection here with the Spirit's work in filling us and submission. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Therefore, I therefore a prisoner, so I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Notice the capital S there, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the Spirit, as he fills us, produces unity in the church. And the unity in the church is produced through humble submission. That's Paul saying here. The Spirit fills you, there's humble submission, and through the humble submission, there's unity within the church. And as we go into part four, which will probably happen later in the year, you'll see how this submission then uh, works its way out into the various human relationships that we engage with, in, in the marriage relationship, in the parenting relationship, and in the work relationships. But Paul here is basically giving us the general Christian submission, like that's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. So what then should a Spirit-filled person look like, and what should a Spirit-filled church look like? And remember, this is not kind of like these are the only marks but these are the key marks that Paul is bringing out here. A spiritual person should be a person who sings to God as an overflow of the joy that they find in him. A spiritual person should be someone who is grateful and thank, is always thankful to God in every situation because of their understanding of who he is, the way he's created the world, and the, his character. And thirdly, a spiritual person should be one who submits who serves the fellow believers around them as an overflow of the Spirit's work in their lives. Now I want to close uh, quickly by um, just helping us see some of the pattern, you know, like some of the pattern of how this can kind of happen in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And uh, like how how does the Spirit do this? And how do we, as believers, kind of position the sail? You know, that sailing boat analogy. How do we position the sail um, to be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, then to see these key markers um, reveal themselves in our lives. So I see two primary ways that we can kind of steady the sail for the Spirit to fill us. And the first one is through prayer. And uh, Bates touched on this in his preach a few months ago, is, is, is praying, Spirit, fill me. And one of the primary reasons we know that this is kind of a biblical pattern is because Paul himself prayed this often for believers, that the Spirit would fill them. He prayed that the Spirit would fill them. Uh, we see this, uh, and we read this earlier in Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now remember, just some context here, Paul's writing to the Ephesians, which, who are believers in Jesus. So he's not saying, you know, they're non-believers and the Spirit needs to fill them as a kind of like initial filling upon salvation. He's talking about a, a, a constant influence. He's talking about a, a, a walking in the Spirit that would cause them to know with more wisdom and revelation who Jesus is. 
And then in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit, through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul is praying for strength through the Spirit. And what is the purpose of the strength of the Spirit? Is to comprehend the love of Jesus. Like that's the key thing that he's praying for here. But it's a work of the Spirit that we would comprehend the love of Jesus. And notice he goes on to speak about how like, you know, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to know something that would be otherwise unknowable. You know, we, it's, it's impossible for us to know the, the truth and the love of Jesus without the work of the Spirit in our lives. So firstly, this is the pattern of Paul. How do we be filled with the Spirit? We pray that the Spirit will fill us. Secondly, the Spirit fills us through faith. We see this in Romans 5.13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's faith in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So Paul connects here the filling of the Spirit with faith in believing. As we believe, the Spirit fills us, and what's the result of that filling? We would abound in hope. Or Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's basically saying, how is the Spirit supplied to you? Is the Spirit supplied to you by works of law, you know, these kind of like religious acts? Or is the Spirit, is the Spirit supplied to you by faith? And it's a rhetorical question, obviously. He's saying the Spirit is supplied to you by hearing with faith. So this is Paul's pattern. We pray that the Spirit would fill us and we believe that the Spirit will fill us. But how do we have faith? Let's read in uh, Romans 10, verse 17. It says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So we pray that the Spirit would fill us, and and we have faith that the Spirit would fill us. And how do we have that faith? We hear the word of Christ. And where do we hear? We hear here, you know, on a Sunday morning as the word of God is preached. We hear in our own times with the Lord as we read his word and we hear the truth of the gospel and that results in faith and through that faith the Spirit, the spirit fills us. Or we, we hear as we kind of meet with other believers and talk about God and truth is revealed to us and we're filled with faith and the, and the Spirit fills us. So as God speaks through his word, we're filled with faith. So this is, this is Paul's pattern. This is how we steady the sail to be filled with the Spirit. We pray that the, the Spirit would fill us and we have faith that he will. And again, this is, you know, we, we're praying that the Spirit would fill us and through his word he reveals Jesus to us. And this is the primary work. Again, this is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I was preparing for this, it was like sometimes I, I almost felt like 
you know, these ideas around being full of the Spirit can so often be isolated. They're so often kind of put on the side and, and you kind of deal with it as a separate issue than you do to like reading God's Word and understanding Him and kind of living life with Him. And, and as I kind of dug into this, I just realized more and more how interconnected they are. You know, it's not this kind of separate task that you do to go and be filled with the Spirit, but it's praying for it and it's reading God's Word and it's spending time with God's people and it's being in community with God's people and God uses that to, to show you truth, to show you Jesus. And as you see Jesus, um, you're filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit, you see Jesus more clearly. You know, it's just kind of like it's just so interlinked and inter, interblended. Um, and I want us to kind of see almost just as we close that, that Paul even, uh, he kind of like subtly connects these three characteristics with a clearer view of seeing Jesus and connects them back uh, to Jesus. So it's in Ephesians uh, five eighteen to 21. So again, and do not be drunk, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then notice the connection here in singing to Christ, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then verse 20, there's a connection to Jesus in thanking, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21 again, connection of Christ to submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is the Spirit's work in our lives to elevate our view of Jesus. And as he does that, we become a singing people. As he does that, we become a thanking people. As he does that, we become a submitting people. So what is the pattern? We pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. We read God's word and we believe in him and we respond in faith and the Spirit fills us. And as he fills us, he enlightens our view to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. And as our view is enlightened, we see clearly and we become a people who sing both to one another and to the Lord. We become a people who thank God always and in every situation that we face. And we submit to one another. We count one another more significant than ourselves. Father God, we thank you for your word, that your word is truth, King. And I, I want to ask as we come to just understanding more clearly through Paul what, what it means to be a spiritual person and what it means to be a spiritual church, I want to ask that you would give us a clearer a picture of these things, Father, and give us a deeper desire for them. I pray that we wouldn't just kind of leave with a new understanding of what you're saying through this text, Father God, but that our, our hearts would be to change on a daily basis, saying, Spirit, fill me, fill me, help me to see Jesus more clearly, empower me to live my life. Help me to be a person who sings out of an overflow of our joy that we find in you. Father, I pray that our church would be a singing church, King, as an overflow of our joy that we find in you. Help us to be a people that are thankful, thankful always and in everything. 
I pray even just in the small ways, Father, we, you know, life's tough sometimes, but I pray that you would help us just to turn our eyes to see, you know, something in our life that's, that, that we should be thankful for, or something that you're working at we should be thankful for, or even thankful for things that you didn't give us, you know, as we understand why that happened. And I just pray that, that people we, we engage with would see us as, as, a, as a people who are not bitter, who are not sour, um, who do not kind of drag people down with negativity, but we, we, we are thankful. We're thankful for you, for the lives that we have. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be a submitting people, King. We see this so beautifully in you, Jesus, you know, the King of the universe who, who put on flesh and blood to come down and serve humanity. Even as, as you washed your disciples' feet, just this powerful picture of submission, King. And not a type of submission, Father, that makes you seem less important, Jesus. It actually gives you more glory. You know, we see you in more glory because of the way that you served your disciples in that way. And I pray that we would be a people who submit to one another, Father God. We would break some of the stereotypes and hierarchy of the world, and we would be submissive to one another, King. Stir up these gifts in our hearts. And I, I want to pray for this church, as, as Paul prays so often, Father, fill us with your Spirit. Help us not to suppress the world around us in, in drunkenness or any kind of, you know, means that gets, that gets us to the same end, you know, where the world's suppressed. But help us to be filled with your spirit, that our hearts would be enlightened to the beauty of the gospel. And these characteristics would flow out, Father God, that we would be think, you know, when we would think of, of the church of one hope, we would think of a spiritful church that is thankful, that sings to you and is submissive to one another. We thank you, Father God. Amen.